Welcome to Champagne Problems. We're your hosts, Robbie Shaw and Charlotte Cameron. Thank you for joining us on this journey as we explore our mental health, well-being, performance, and longevity, and how our relationships with alcohol can influence each. No shame, no labeling, no judgment, just curiosity. Welcome back, Shining Lights. Today we're speaking with Kelsey Chittick. Kelsey is a writer, a comedian, and an inspirational speaker. Kelsey has lived through the unimaginable, losing the love of her life and father to her two children to a sudden heart attack while playing with their kids. Nate Hobgood Chittick was a Super Bowl champion, a six-year NFL player, and a larger-than-life husband and father loved by many. Today, we will sit with Kelsey and talk about her loss, her grief, her healing, her tremendous growth, and her newfound love for life. Let's go to Kelsey. Kelsey Chittick, welcome to Champagne Problems. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Grant Miles for the connection. Oh, that's right. He would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, turns out we've known each other for some time now. Um, same year at UNC, both athletes, both lived in New York City at the same time, ton of mutual friends. And then there's something about us dating uh <laughs> Former <laughs> boyfriend and girlfriends. Right. <laughs> We're think... like, did we sleep together or did we? <laughs> I don't we know. It's, it's still a little hazy. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, so thank you for coming on. We're very excited to talk to you. Um, we know a lot of your story and we've seen a lot of what you do as far as, you know, your talks, your, your, your podcast, your book. We've, we've obviously dug into all that stuff and we're very excited to man, to hear your journey. Um, but we're going to start with a little rapid fire to get to know you. Okay. Get you thinking a little bit. Uh, what was your first mu live music concert and where? MC Hammer, Orlando, Florida. God almighty. Isn't it funny how it's that like so the answer always comes to people so quickly? Yeah. Like, yeah. I've found that question to be pretty common among social, you know, situations. A lot of people ask me that question. Um, I like it. I can't, and I can't remember anything after that. That was it. Right. <laughs> it. Yeah. Hammer. So yeah. good. Who's the, oh, go ahead. Who is the funniest person you know and why? <laughs> funniest person I know. I, you know, I can't think of there's, I mean, all of my friends, like I think my best girlfriends, just like the ones from high school. Yeah. They're the people that make me laugh the hardest. Just yeah. the, our texturing and what we say to each other that's just so <laughs> offensive and wrong. And um, I think that, that is a, those are the people I laugh the hardest with now, just like my friends that have known me forever. Because yeah. um, you can say anything and just, it's fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I love it. And, and, and it, a lot of times you don't even have to say anything. It can be mm -hmm. a facial expression and you know what's going on in that brain. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I the love best. It. I am so grateful for like old friends from when you were a kid. Yeah. Yep. They're the best. What word do you hate the most and it can't be moist? I hate moist. I know you do. Everybody hates that word. I hate moist. Um, <laughs> what word do I hate? It's just the grossest word. My kids it's say it all the time. A bad word. It doesn't like, bother me so much. It's just nasty. <laughs> it's nasty. The nasty person says moist. Um, what word do I hate? I don't hate 
I don't hate a word, but I do hate, I used to hate for a long time. It is what it is. Mm. And I'd mm-hmm. be like, you know what? Just jump off a cliff. Like yeah. I can't handle people that go that way. We can talk about this later, but I do have a new perspective on that. But for a long time, I was like, you're a loser if you say something like that. Right. Like what, how, how can you just bypass life like that? But um, <laughs> I, have a new, I have a new perspective. It is what it is. I'm like, oh yeah. God. You're not, you're not being <laughs> philosophical when you say that. No. <laughs> um all right what movie have you seen the most times dirty dancing Mm, such Mm, a good one filmed in north carolina i want that moment i want that moment in that cabin (laughs) i want it to be raining outside i want there to be music i need to be held like that i promise you i will recreate that i'll be 70 but i need that i need him to spin me and drop me i I need all the things All right, this one's a little deep. If you could know the answer to any question, what would you ask? You know, I feel like I've asked it and I think I know it now. Like, is everything going to be okay mm. for all of us? Like, is it okay? Is is everything okay eventually at some point in the ether, in the universe? Like, and I think that's, I think that's a question I ask God a lot. Like, is everything going to be like, are you sure? Because this seems <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It doesn't, doesn't feel like it. Um, yeah. So is everything going to be okay? And I think if, if you check in most of the times, it's like, yeah, I don't know when or how, but like, yeah. Is it, isn't it like Winnie the Pooh or something? Uh, <laughs> he says something like, um, in the end, it'll all be okay. If it's not okay, yeah. it's not the end. In the end, it all works out. And if it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. There it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah I like that. We say that a lot around here. Hmm. Yeah. Just hang on. Keep, hang on. Yeah. 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 Wow. Love it. All right. Now we know you, Kelsey. The rest is just fluff. <laughs> exactly. The rest is just big boobs and good looks. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's yeah. a fluff piece. Today's episode is sponsored by Athletic Brewing Company, America's leading non-alcoholic craft brewer. Have you been thinking about cutting back on alcohol but still aren't sure if near beers are for you? Check out Athletic Brewing, the most decorated non-alcoholic brewer in the world. Athletic produces a wide selection of great-tasting brews, including IPAs, Goldens, Darks, Lights, Sours, and more. Their non-alcoholic beers have won over 70 awards and are fit for all time, so you can drink them anytime and anywhere. Now you can enjoy great-tasting craft brews all night long and still be ready for whatever life throws at you tomorrow. Right now, new Athletic customers can receive 20% off their first order when they visit athleticbrewing.com and use the code CP20 at checkout by August 31st, 2023. What were you like before you met Nate? What, who was Kelsey Durkin up until her 20s? Oh, she, I know her well. Um, I don't miss her, but I know her well. She was just... Um, she was a go-getter. She just needed to be the best at everything. She needed to um, achieve everything. She was busy. Um, I loved when I was good at something. I only did things I was good at. She was really uptight and afraid of not making something of her life. Um, I swam back and forth all day since I was six. Everyone's like, did you have anxiety? I'm like, I don't know, but I did swim six hours a day. So, <laughs> so maybe. It's <laughs> likely not. Maybe that's a tool. I don't know. Um, I was just intense. I was intense. I was just, I was really going to make sure that my life looked a certain way and that I was going to be good at things. And um, 
I was opinionated. I'm still opinionated, but I had no room for people that weren't doing things the way I thought were supposed to be done. I had all the answers. Hmm. Um, I was just the best. And I just thought I was just better because I was uptight and rigid. And my brother who was, we've talked about, had a little drinking and drug problem was like, do you ever have fun? And I was like, fun is for losers. <laughs> fun is for slackers. I would not want to be having fun. Oh my <laughs> God, Chelsea. Yeah, and I think when I met Nate, I was still that way. Just really, just dick, dick. Nate used to say being married to me was like dick, 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 dick. Just like on him, just like just bothering, you know, just so regimented um, and so afraid of everything, basically, I think. Wow. No offense, you and I would, I, I now see why we weren't very close in college. Oh, your whole crew was not, was did not resonate with not my uptightness. No, what well, you're saying resonates with me a lot. I think I was a lot like that. Yeah. That's uh, where does that you know, come? Where's that come from? It's funny because my brother and I are totally different, and we were raised in the same home. I think it's really interesting when you look at your kids or your family. Everyone takes a spot, and everyone has to have their own spot. So, it's not as much that our families made us that way. It's that we found a spot that worked for us, and then we just settled into it. Yeah. And that became who you were in the family. My brother followed fish and Grateful Dead and smoked weed and I swam and I was got good grades and was uptight. And once that narrative starts to play in a family or inside of you, it stays. And yeah. that's who you think you are. And as a kid, you don't even know there's an option to pivot. Yeah. Um, you just because well, they accept you that way as well. Yeah. And right? you get you either get it. You get a good attention or bad attention from whichever one. My brother got a lot of bad attention. But that's how he, you know, he just needed space and I just needed rigidity. And so we created lives that gave us peace for whatever we were going through. And it wasn't trauma. It was just life. Like everyone, no matter if you have an abusive home or a regular home, you're still in in life and life is hard. Yeah. And it's hard to navigate and figure out who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. So, um, yeah. That sounds like IFS work. Have you done yeah, any? Oh, yeah. Actually, internal family systems. Yeah. 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 I haven't gotten into that a ton. My mom really got into it because in our family, when we get into like a book or a new a new way of looking, we really go for it and we want the whole world to change it. And she got into it. So I was like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard such great stuff about it's... that entire like therapy and way of looking at how you grew up. Yeah, it's great. Um, all right. So you've probably told this many times, or I know you've told this many times, because I've actually heard you tell it a number of times, but tell us a little bit about the first meetings with Nate. And then, you know, the, the following dates and just the beginning, yeah. the beginning. So I was a swimmer at Carolina, um, got there in 1995. And first two years kind of dated people on the swim team. And then um, there was like a big year where Chris Keldorf was the quarterback, and everybody was talking about him. Mm. And we were uh, just like, Marty, he was so hot. Listen, he lives down the street from me now. He, I'm like, get back there. We all need to get back there. Um, you know, in the swimmers, we kind of hung out with each other. But uh, one of my girlfriends started dating this just really big offensive lineman, Ryan Carfley, who's also a good friend of mine. And through that, we ended up kind of hanging out with football players. Um, and at some point, Chris started dating my roommate, uh, Liz, who we just talked about. And so they dated for a little bit. And so we got, we were kind of like, we felt like celebrities because at that time Carolina was doing really well. And I think we beat FSU that year. 
And um, at some point, we, you know, we just, we were hanging with them. So I met Nate originally at Players. No, not Players. I'm sorry. What's the one at the end Four of the corners. street? Four Corners. Four Corners. And I met him um, one night when he came in to the bar with like a bunch of just enormous men. And we were like <laughs> jacked up swimmers. Our shoulders were up. We were in like khaki pants and, you know, tank tops, just not a stitch in makeup. Didn't even, no pictures back then. Yeah, I just was big and masculine. And um, I remember Nate came up to us and we were all sitting at the bar and he kind of like moved his way in to sit next to us and grab a drink and he started like talking to us and saying all these inappropriate things which Nate said till the day he was gone um and at some point that evening he left a napkin in front of my in front of my stool and when I opened it it said if you want the rest say goodbye to the if you want the best say goodbye to the rest go home with me and I'll make you happy (laughs) what a move and I remember I mean that's the great part of that story is like three years later I was at a wedding with a bunch of girls and this one girl was or like we were married by then and he said this woman was like oh my god i totally remember nate in college he gave me this napkin one time <laughs> oh, and no. said, if you want the best if you yeah whatever the whole thing if you want the yeah, best yeah. whatever and i was like that fucking guy um so How we many of those in. napkins are floating around what a loser. i'm sure there's like 80 of them um he was shameless he'd take anything That's so good so I met him and then about four months later, we ended up having a party at our house um, and a bunch of the football guys came. And um, I remember we were watching X-Files and just dancing and everybody was hammered. And um, at some point I was dating some guy from the Naval Academy. And I remember I was on the phone with him and Nate came over and he was like sweating and he had like a cork light box on his head. And he just took the phone and he was like, she's with me now. And oh my God. And honest to God, I was like, I, I, was, I was 19 and um, I, I just, I knew like, oh, he had come into my room and read the serenity prayer. Um, my parents had gotten divorced. We were, we were have addiction issues in our family. And um, so I'd done Al-Anon for quite a bit. And I, he was like, oh, I live my life by that shit. And I was like, you beefcake, like you <laughs> spiritual enlightened beefcake. Talk dirty to me. Um, by that and so shit. that was it. Um, we, that was, I was with him never with anybody else again from 19 till 40. Wow. Yeah. I know it still makes me cry. Like when I think about it, like, it's so funny, but I'm like, oh God, we had a good life. Yeah. We had a good life. Well, from that moment, I guess, you know, there was, it sounds like many years where you were influencing each other, growing together. What was that like? I mean, how did you change as a person because of being in a relationship with him and vice versa? How did he change over that time? I mean, I honestly think we were meant to be for like thousands of reasons. Um, We just, we, we were really on a spiritual path at very young ages. His father was a minister at Harvard, a campus minister that ran a, um, a homeless shelter with a bunch of students. My mother-in-law was a professor at Holy Cross, a religious um, feminist ethics um, person, a professor there. My family was really into Dispensa and Esther Perel and um, just like the power of the mind. I can't even think of Dwayne Dyer. Like there was a lot of these similar conversations going on. Theirs was more service-based. How do we help the world? my family was more like how do we help internally like how do we become the best person so we spent a lot of time very early on just wanting to live like talk about living a great life what does it mean to become the best version of yourself 
what does it mean to serve others to find your purpose and that we were talking about that when we were 21 22 23 um he ended up playing in the nfl which was just mind-blowing to everyone because he didn't play that much at carolina and um actually mac brown told him to quit and you know you're not good enough to even play your senior year and then he ended up getting drafted and played for seven years um wow yeah so we but we always were we just enjoyed each other like we had fun we had great friends um he's from allentown just wretched wonderful people just yeah. generous every one of them and i love them with all of my heart everyone's sober now after he died too like everyone got sober like the whole town's sober now and it needed it. um but so we just we and we knew we wanted kids i remember i was 23 when we got engaged which if you told if my daughter got engaged at 23 I'd be like, oh my God. insane. But, and I think my family thought that. And I think he thought that too. But I just knew we were, that's what we needed to do. We were better together. Um, but what I will say in our marriage, what happened is I stayed really uptight and he stayed really spiritual and connected. And what I think he needed me because I grounded him and I needed him because he was so fun and loving. And so we dropped into those roles pretty early. So I was uptight and neurotic and he was the fun guy that everybody loved and that just loved life um he took up all the loving of life and i took up all the day-to-day -day, like knickknacks and stress so and we we went on we had two kids and a boy and a girl just exactly like i planned because that's how i do it i'd say yeah yeah order, order <laughs> that um, but we were young and um thank god and so we just kind of lived a great life we moved out to california um, Chris Keldorf, who we talked about that was a quarterback, actually grew up in Manhattan Beach. And he said, come out here to this like little town. You guys can go back to North Carolina in a year. And that was 20 years ago for us. Um, and so we just created kind of a new life, but in a town that was very similar to what he and I grew up in, like a small town. I grew up in Winter Park, Florida. He grew up in Allentown, which with a small group of people. And we loved it. And we had a really we had a good life and underneath it all, I was pretty stressed and miserable. If I look back in terms of just anxiety. Mm. So y'all lived in Manhattan beach. Well, now we say that, but because okay. no one really knows where El Segundo is, we live in El Segundo, which is based oh, yeah. like El Segundo is like, um, it's living in like Kansas city in the middle of LA. <laughs> like everyone still wears khakis, like old Navy is fine. And then you go to Manhattan oh. beach. It's like only Range Rovers. Yeah. Only look like it's 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 a half a mile apart, but worlds. Yeah. It's growing though, right? At the moment. Oh, it's great. Like Rapidly, I love where yeah. we live. We've got some environmental issues that I'm not keen on, but that's another podcast for another day. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to do the left my wallet in El Segundo joke. It happens uh, every that, time. Uh, I assume it does. I didn't <laughs> wanna I didn't want to do it without making it obvious it was <laughs> stupid. I wanna be very mindful of this, but I do know that you tell the story, mm -hmm. the tragedy. Mm -hmm. um, would you be open to telling that? Oh, it's, it's all it's all I talk about. It's the only thing that matters. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I'm happy to. Okay. Um, so it was 2017, and we were like in a really good place. The kids were nine and 12. We had kind of gone through some financial issues that all NFL players need to. You need to invest with a bunch of guys that play football because they seem to really have great business minds. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's let's all buy something together. That's smart because you all never took a class in college, but that's fine. Right. Let's take all of our money we've earned and invest it in real estate. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
so we had we had some tough times um going through just like bad bad decisions that we were learning from and you know he was trying to figure out what to do after he played so he played seven six years and then he went back to school and got his master's in social work from cal state long beach and then he was a social worker which bless it but that doesn't work out here financially it's very hard to live i was a pharmaceutical rep which is just a real classy act um selling heartburn (laughs) medicine in a short skirt for a while Um, best job ever back then but um not exactly like soul providing in terms of just doing you know your purpose so we both were trying to figure out like what are we doing here so i ended up um starting to work with some guys out of chapel hill um ryan carfley had started a recruiting company and so i started working with them in 2012. so i was going back and forth nate ended up leaving social work because it just it wasn't what he thought it would be and um he always had managed his own money from the nfl and he always had been interested in making money and investment so he started at morgan stanley ended up doing really well and by the time it was 2017 he was working with another guy and started his practice and was doing really great as a financial advisor i was doing a job i loved i was writing i was doing stand-up and life was like we made it um the kids were capable of you know staying home by themselves and brushing their teeth and getting food but they weren't into drugs or sex it was like that sweet spot yeah very, very small <laughs> sweet window a couple of years where you go like we're all good and yeah. i remember we were like we made it like we did it like we're here we have jobs we love we've gotten through some hard times the kids are good and um it was it was great we had this awesome spring break that summer before we kind of did a tour we were like we should just go everywhere so we did a tour of california And through all this though, I had just anxiety, like low grade anxiety. Most of, I don't think I had it when I was younger, but I can't remember because it was so prominent once I had the kids. I just didn't want anyone to die. I remember thinking like, I just don't want anyone to die. Like, I love this family. I love these people. Like, how do I keep us all from dying? And that kind of was my thought, my most of my life, especially as a young mother, um, just wanted us to all be okay. And as time went on, the anxiety kept getting worse and worse. And Nate was like, listen, like, we're good. Everything's fine. Like, what is, what are you doing? You're so uptight. You're so neurotic. You're always angry or you're bossing around. Like, do you ever just relax? And I couldn't, I was flying. I felt like I couldn't. Yeah. And so at some point, Nate and I read a book, um, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, which is just a great book of looking at different beliefs, how we perceive things. And we've read every spiritual book, but that one, for some reason, just kind of resonated with both of us, just looking differently at the whole way you look at the world and life and your thoughts. And through that, I ended up um, giving the book to Tony Gonzalez, who read it. And we all kind of just had a little book club going. And at some point they were like, you can, we got in touch with the author and he had this event called A-Fest. So long story short, Nate was like, you need to get some help. Like you need to calm down. You need to go like figure out what you want to do. Because we're all good and you're kind of like crazy, Mm. Um, which, you know, and I I think I was, and I just had this feeling. And so about, so two years before that, I just was like, I was just off. So I started on this spiritual journey, kind of just reading. And so at 2017, at that point, there was an opportunity to go to this retreat for a weekend, kind of just to listen to Wim Hof and Stephen Cutler and some really great people that were doing great things, talking about stuff. And Nate was like, you should go. And so we had an opportunity for Tony's wife and I, who's one of my best friends to go for this three day trip. 
And I was like, I would love to go, but I can't leave because I'm not, something bad will happen if I leave. And he was like, you need to go because you need to come back a new person. Like you have got to figure out how to live in this world without being so uptight and fear-based. He's like, this isn't living. Like you're just, I was having panic attacks all the time. And he's like, I don't know what's happened, but we need a reset here. So he kind of forced me to go, which was, he never was, he, I ran our house. I ran our life. He was just like a happy, best father, best husband. Also living on another planet sometimes. I was like, we're here, we're on here, we're down here. Um, the trash is Wednesday, every Wednesday. How can we forget every Wednesday? It just didn't change. <laughs> didn't change this week. Knew it was Wednesday. Um, he just didn't care about the little things. It just, he didn't understand my obsession with the knickknacks of life. He wanted connection. He wanted to have good conversations. Um, you know how they say there's like a balloon and a rock. He was like the biggest balloon. And I was like the boulder of all. Oh. Players, like, um, I mean, you couldn't move around me. I'd catch you and I'd stick you under me and I'd hold you down. No fun. No fun in our family. Um, So that weekend, we, you know, Nate was like, you have to go. So long story short, um, he drove me to the airport and kissed me and said, like, you're the most amazing woman I've ever met in my life. I hope you go and find out what you're meant to be and how strong you are and that you are capable for so much of so much more and that everything's okay. Like everything's okay. You can relax. We are all good. Go have fun. I'll see you when I get back. Kissed me, went to drop me off at LAX. I met my girlfriend and we went and had what probably was one of the most transformative three days of my life. Something happened when I landed in Jamaica and I kind of just relaxed. Like all the anxiety went away. I listened and I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change. Like it kind of all integrated. And I remember telling someone the day before the conference was over, like, I want to do all this, but I hope something bad doesn't have to happen for me to like change, you know, like I want to be a different version. I want this Kelsey to go. And so the last day, which was a Saturday, I got a phone call. We were about to go on this final um, excursion and it was, I saw somebody call and it was a number I didn't know. So I just ignored it. And then um, my best friend called uh, Chris's husband, Chris's wife who's my best friend from childhood. And she's like, listen, don't, don't freak out. Don't do the Kelsey. Everybody's fine. But Nate was at the trampoline park at Sky Zone with the kids and he fell. So the ambulance has taken him to UCLA and we're gonna, we're gonna get the kids and your brother-in-law is gonna meet him at the hospital. And honest to God, I was like, he's dead. And everybody was like, he's not dead. And I was like, he's dead. And I didn't oh, talk, I probably didn't talk again because I was waiting for the call that would then confirm what I knew in every part of my body. Um, and so, yeah, that then we ended up getting in a, a taxi and they're like, why are you going home? He's just probably dehydrated. I was silent. I was like, get me to the airport. And then on the way there, the doctor at UCLA called and just said, I'm so sorry. Um, we tried mm-hmm. everything, but um, your husband died of a heart attack. And, um, you know, we'll see you when you get back. And so I got home at about midnight and I, I had lied to the kids, which we, I can talk about all that stuff around, but I just didn't want them to know without me being there. And so I just walked into Chris and Michelle's house and I said, you know, I have to tell you, but your dad's gone. And, you know, I I want you to know three things. Um, He wouldn't have never left us if we weren't okay. That just wasn't his style. Um, I said, I have no idea how I'm going to do this because my whole life 
I have had your father and he was pretty much it, but I'm going to figure it out. So you guys go ahead being nine and 12, um, because I'm going to be the mom here and we're going to, we're going to have a great life. And then I think the last thing I said was most kids don't have a father like you for a day and you had him mm. for nine and 12 years and he gave you every single thing you needed to know. So don't think that you're the victim. Just remember you're the lucky ones. And that kind of was our North star starting five and a half years ago. Those three things we were like, we're the lucky ones. We're the lucky ones that we had them. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's a story. All right. It is a story. How did you know? I've always been intuitive. I've always had gut feelings about whatever I do. I can always kind of check in and hear, almost hear a yes or no. The alarm bells, the two years before he died. And also, you know, he played football. He had CTE. I didn't know. I didn't know how sick he was. He didn't know. None of us knew. But I must have been picking up on his health on some way. You know, it's hard when you live with someone and, and you also don't want to see a lot of it, but he looked older to me. He looked like, um, he looked uh, pale. He just, the the joie de vivre that I had known for 20 years was kind of turned down. He looked really tired. And I was like, this doesn't match. And I was looking at other husbands and dads and I was like, he used to be the strongest, like he was everything. And I just, I saw him slowing down. And there was a little bit of sadness that I had never seen. Um, and I didn't know if it was just like midlife or just, you know, stress or he'd gotten through some hard things. Um, but I also like my whole life with Nate, it was different than like a normal marriage. I was, I was like, we had to be together, but it was this like agreement. I can't explain it. It was just this deep feeling that something was going to change and I better be ready. Yeah. So the, he died of a heart attack, mm -hmm. ha had stage two, two-ish, three-ish CTE. Mm -hmm. Are those related? I mean, all of it's probably, t all of it's tied to football in some ways. I'm not going to, and we talk about football a lot. And in the beginning, when the book came out, you know, it's again, my big belief is that you can hold two beliefs at the same time. I love football deeply. Those are my people. Those men have showed up for me. They continue to. There's nothing better than watching a game and being with your buddies and cheering for people. It's such a community builder. And it's a terrible sport for kids' brains. And it's a terrible sport for people's brains. Um, and we watch people get hit all the time. And what we don't see is, I think I said on Peter's podcast, we were talking and Peter's like, why don't they have a, like, where are they now? Like they used to on MTV for a musician. Oh, uh, yeah. You should yeah. see some of these guys that played three or four years. Where are they now? Like everyone worshiped them and now they're like a bartender with seat. It's just like we have to do a better job, not of not playing football and not loving it, but just finding different ways, especially for our kids. Like kids don't need to be in helmets. There's just no we make them wear a helmet when they ride a bike. So if they fall off once, they're safe. Why would we let them like bang heads? So that's a whole nother story. But I love football and I think it's a very dangerous sport. So his heart, basically the defensive linemen have a very high rate of dying early because like, you know, big animals die early, like elephants, things like that. And it's just your heart works so much to move that body. P 
people forget that NFL players, especially on the line, are really fast. They're really athletic. So if you're a big man that can sprint a 40 at the rate that they can, it takes a lot on your heart. So a lot of these guys' hearts just get, imagine a heart is like a battery. And if you use it too much, it just it dies early. Yeah, it gets so old. It yeah. gets old. And so his heart, his left ventricle was so stretched out just from, and he was the toughest strongest like that guy could do things you'd be like whoa big dude moves fast jumps high um and i loved that about him but his left ventricle just got stretched like a water balloon so the last time it went to contract there was no contraction um the cte he was a worker on the team he was never a starter not in not at carolina not in the nfl so he took every hit in practice for from the time he was seventh grade till he was 26 and so he never sat out you know Peyton Manning and Tom Brady sit out a lot. People don't yeah. knock them out often. Nate just took it head on, you know, day after day. So a lot of these linemen just take so many hits to the head in practice. Um, and so he just had almost stage three. So lesions all over different parts of his brain, which basically are just black spots you see when you look that are just, um, the brain tissue is no longer, it's just dead there. It has plaque on it. Um, I knew something was off with him, but he was always like, everyone's like, but he was always different. I'm like, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But there was a different difference. There's um, he had like never yelled at me. I don't think in our whole marriage, I mean, we had gotten hot with each other and we'd scream and we were like a normal couple, but he had never been disrespectful. He had never scared me ever. Like he was huge and he was always very aware of his size and how intimidating that would be. So he would be like, he would walk away, you know, but what, like three weeks before he died, something happened with the cable. And he was like, what the fuck? You don't get fixed the cable. And I remember I looked at him like, you've never spoken to me like that. And he looked at me like, I've never spoken to you like that. And then he was so sad. He was like, I'm sorry. I don't even know what I just did. If you really talk to women who have husbands that have CTE that are still alive, there's a lot of that, like just like anger and then just shame because mm. they don't know what they just did. Yeah. Um, so. So how do you go from there? What is that healing process? How does that start? I mean, that's a big question. It feels like, <laughs> um, you just, you mean after he died? Yeah. You know, like I said, I think there's two things. I got real clear that we better decide right now how this is going to look a week, a month and a, you know, year, five years from now. Cause I, I thought we're on a different planet now. And if I don't have a roadmap to where I'm headed, you could end up in a ditch quick. Um, I just never lived an adult life without him. And he was kind of the light of our lives. Like he was, he was just joy. Like life was better when Nate was here. Um, but I also knew like who he was and what he would expect of me. And I just remember thinking like, I'm not going to let him down. Like he didn't let me down. Like I'm going to do this. And I was just like, I'm not going to let this be our kid's story. Like I'm not going to have this sad story. Like I will not do this. We've been too lucky. He worked too hard and I've got too great. Of, I, I, I'm too lucky. Like, I just have to be real careful to stay alive. Like I just need to stay alive. I knew it would get better if I just could hang on. And it was about two and a half years, three years, the first three years, the first two years, you might as well just, yeah. you just don't even Shock. know. Yeah, you just, and you're on a, you're in a world you never wanted. You are the people you always used to be like, God, that's awful. Like, I do. I love attention, but not that type. I was like, I wanted to be famous for comedy, not a widow. <laughs> like, 
This is not. This is not what I was. Involved. I was going for fame, but yeah, this was yeah. not the avenue I wanted it. Um, yeah. So I think, and the kids and I, I just remember early on being like, "We're going to make it. We're going to make it, and we're going to make this a good story." And I'm the best storyteller, so we're gonna we're gonna write this story the way we want it to go, and we're gonna fake it till we make it. <laughs> you know. And I've done. My family has done a lot of work in AA, and I we kind of went after it that way. We just went one one step at a time, one day at a time. And sometimes even right now, like, I'm like, holy shit, we did it. Like, we're okay. And we've been through other stuff through, you know, we've had some really tough times inside of those five years, but we have tools. We have a lot of tools that we use in our family. And, I, you know, I think people think you wing it or you just like pray about it or you just hope and no, you work, you work, you yeah. work, you work to survive. And then it becomes just part of, how your family all operates. Um, you just have tools, like people just need tools. So my, my mind is going everywhere right now, because obviously, if you, you know, a little bit of my history, and there's some adversity. And, and, and when you go through some of this stuff, you, you look back, and you know, that that was, you know, one of the worst slash best things that could have happened to me you know, in, in a sense for growth and, and finding a new way to look at life and live life. And, oh, God, um, you know, to do it with kids, you know, I, there's there's got to be this balance of doing it for them and doing it with them. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear just kind of, I mean, I understand that the first two years were kind of a wash and it's you're in it and it's ugly and, and you're figuring it out. But at some point, you know, you have to lead by example, but they got to be all in with you, you know, and, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think in the beginning, I tried to make it better. And then I realized like, there was no better. I couldn't make it better. And there's something about a complete um, release of any responsibility to make it better. And so I didn't ever, I, you know, in the beginning, I would try to tell the story in a way that would be like in, empowering, like your father loved you and we were lucky, you know, that whole thing. And that, that is true. But early on, the kids were like, it's awful. Yeah. This is awful. And we need you to be okay with it being awful. Please stop bypassing how awful this is. And for some reason, they gave me permission to be like, this is awful and we're going to make it. Those two things live at the same time. This is the worst fucking nightmare of our lives. I don't know how we're going to do it and we're going to make it. And that kind of was how we lived. Like we didn't try to make it okay. And we really dug into how awful it was, but I stopped trying to make them feel better or make them talk about it or what there's so many things I learned. Um, and I do think if the parents, okay, the kids are okay. If the kids aren't okay, but you're okay, that's their path. So I am not codependent with my kids at all. Um, I was responsible for them, but I am not, I'm not God. I'm not their keeper. I'm not their, they have to figure out who they want to be. I have, I will give them everything. I will walk this path with them, but they too chose this experience on some spiritual level, whatever their lessons are, are this is their experience. So I don't, anymore. Um, I, I hurt for them. I hurt for me. I hurt that we don't have a dad that they, you know, that like everything's a daddy daughter dance and Jack can't go to 
you know, his dad will never see him play basketball at Loyola, which would have been a dream or take him to college. And those are true that it, it hurts. It's sad. And we're okay. And we have beautiful yeah. people that step in. So we toggle back and forth quite often. And we have, I think from the beginning, um, crawling around the house, just in utter pain to being like, oh my gosh, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're living, we're happy. And the joy you have when you come out of something like this and you feel happy again, it's like drugs. Oh yeah. Like if your bandwidth before a tragedy or a hard time is like 20 is the lowest you are and 60 is the happiest you are. Now I swing between zero and 150. <laughs> when I'm ha when I'm having fun, it's like I'm on, I mean, it's like ecstasy. You're just like, oh my God, like, look at this. And when it's low, it's like, I'm going, I'm going to have to take myself out. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Yeah, because I think a lot of us spend our time trying to just stay in the middle. Mm -hmm. yeah. Don't be too sad. Don't be too happy. Just just get, just hang on. Um, we don't hang on. We swing from the trees now. Just <laughs> and the more you swing, the more you're used to it. And you're like, oh, I'm not a, I'm not afraid of the one anymore. Yeah, I'm not afraid. I'm like, oh, here we go. It's going to be dark for a bit up in here. Yeah. And we know how to navigate it because we have tools. So I think that's what happened. The kids got older, which is easier. And we, Nate lives well and alive in our home. So it's not a secret. It's, we talk, I mean, I talk about it too much for them, but it, you talk too much for any teenager. So it doesn't, yeah. right. <laughs> when I look at them, they're annoyed, but um, <laughs> I'm starting to see the things that we've, we've worked on and we've done as a family starting to pay off in them as they become adults. And I'm like, that's cool. Like they're really cool people. They're cooler than I ever imagined. Um, and they all, this this will inform their lives in ways I don't know, and we're all going to figure that out. Um, and I feel like Nate's with us. Like a part of that too is like I was like he's not gone, and they're like if you say he's a hummingbird one more time, I'm like he's a hummingbird. <laughs> he's like, right he's, there. Oh, I'm the worst. They're like that's not him. I'm like whatever. You don't have to believe. Like, Hi Nate. Hi Nate. Oh, they're always like. Um, I'm like everything. Everything. They're like everything's a sign. I'm like yeah, it is because you get to choose what the damn sign is. I just happen to put put him everywhere yeah. because for me i can't do life without him so i bring him to me right yeah. that's just a choice i'm like they're like well how do you know i'm like who cares that yeah. feels good to me is to know that he is that plant and that hummingbird and that sign and that cloud and that's just what i do and yeah. they can choose what they do but yeah we've all kind of found our rhythm and it was dark for a really long time i hate sometimes i forget when i tell the story now i'm like it was so bad for a long time like dark, yeah. dark, 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 dark. But um, yeah, it's it's amazing though. Your brain kind of, it, time is really relative with death. You don't know if it was a lifetime, an hour. Um, yeah. Do you remember being cognizant during that transition? I guess, I don't know if this uh, would resonate for you, but like when you're in that moment of survival, maybe it's a couple of years, and then you start to transition out of that survival mode. I think there's like this process of awareness where you start to think like, oh my God, I'm out of it enough to be cognizant that I have empathy for myself. Like that was a lot. Mm. And then going into, like coming fully out of, I mean, were you cognizant of that process as it was taking place? Yes. Um, I had, so, and I don't talk about this much and I won't even go into it, but I had some medical stuff that came about two years after he died, which I'm pretty certain was from stress. Um, just like my body broke down. Like I was just like, this isn't like, I couldn't process the pain. I couldn't figure out how I was going to survive this. And then COVID hit and it just felt like, 
okay, this is a joke. Like, this is just yeah. too much. I'm like alone Girl, yeah. with two, Seriously. two grieving kids. I'm a widow. I'm 30, you know, whatever I was, 41, 42. Um, I don't know how to live without him. Like, and then, and I got sick and I not, I didn't get sick. I don't want to say that. I got a diagnosis. I didn't want, I was not sick. Um, but then the process of working through that diagnosis was scary and scary for the children. And just like, you're like, really God, like, this is too much. Like I wanted to be like, Hey, asshole. Like enough yeah. is enough. I get it, you know. Yeah. But and that experience was really even bigger for me than Nate dying because I was like, oh my God, we really have no control. Like, stop. Just stop. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to make it better. Stop trying to make it worse. Just hang on today. And somehow that final experience kind of took my fear away, which has basically been the lead story in my life is just anxiety and fear. And so that's when I remember it passed. I was like, I was literally like, I surrender God, like enough. I don't need any more signs. I don't need any more lessons. You have beat me over the head with some big ones. And now I promise you, no matter what happens, if I die, if people die, if my kids, like I'm done, I'm done worrying. I'm here today. I have no idea what will be tomorrow, but today I'm okay. And that's kind of where I've been for the past two and a half years. Um, which has been just, it feels like you're on drugs. Yeah. When you're, when you're in a present moment and you're in the flow, you're like, shit, I don't need to take anything. <laughs> yeah. This thing, this thing's good, you know? So yeah. that's been for me, um, that's probably the different, it kind of about two and a half years. I was so tired of being tired. I was just like, I can't, I, I was done. It's such a interesting timeline of, of events in the sense that the way you described yourself, which I didn't know in asking, I didn't know you were so type A and so uh, psycho. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know that least about fun, you. Least honestly. fun person in North Park, Florida. Never did a drug, never did anything, never had yeah. fun. Fun was disgusting. Well, and, and, and look at you now and, and look, and not that it, I hate to say that it took that. Oh, it did. But it did. It did. And so it's just the the fascinating irony or the or the whatever you call it the signs from god the messages the universe all the things just saying oh you think you're in control <laughs> i had it yeah. all figured out yep yeah. yeah i was somebody who just knew that i was better than everybody like i just had it figured out like sorry perfect life everyone hello like nfl football player boy and a girl two and a half years apart <laughs> Killing it. I don't Killing know what to it. tell you guys, but some yeah. of the lessons I learned. Yeah. Get behind me. <laughs> and then God was like, <laughs> he was like, right. insane. And I was like, oops. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, uh, and I do think it's a story that we all tell if you are evolved, if you are someone who is present in this world, you have been through something. I didn't want to go through the something. Nobody does. It's mm -hmm. not fun. Yeah. I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't yeah. change anything in my life. Not one single thing. I didn't enjoy it, but fun is not the goal. That's the thing I didn't know. Like easy and fun is not what we're here for. It's a, it's so short. And Nate really, you know, Nate lived all in, literally all in. And it drove me insane, but I'm so glad <laughs> because I saw what it looks like to just love life. Mm. Like he'd get pulled over with a DUI and be like, I'm so sorry. I just, <sighs> and the police officer would be like, what, what happened? He'd be like, well, obviously I drank too much. and drank. Yeah. I'm so sorry. It's on me. Like, take me away. You know, like yeah. 
but like he wouldn't have changed that ex that dinner with his friend he he had no regrets like what he just was in the moment and he was just intense and the way he loved and hugged and made people feel was just he was like he knew he didn't have enough time and if we all just knew we didn't have enough time we would live that way and i think when you live in anxiety and stress you're in the future fully in the future or and i don't i, I know a lot of people that worry about the past most men do that more women i don't think look back we maybe at a social event some women are like i wish i hadn't said that but most of us are just making sure no one's going to die you know and and it's it, it's really hard to be fun and joyful and present when you're just looking for line yeah. lines and yeah. that's what moms do a lot of us do um and then a lot of us that have more resources that we have extra time to have the luxury of worrying about that as opposed to even a lot of people don't even have the time to do that um so it's just it's a spiritual awakening to the present moment and we've all heard it we've all done buddhist meditations we've all had sam harris's app but until you need it <laughs> you don't it, it doesn't work until you're there that's right that's exactly right and and all of us that are on this side of it look at the people that are not on this side of it and go listen to me <laughs> Although too now you know they you nobody can get them there. You're like I no. Hope it's a light landing. <laughs> right. Good luck. That one's yeah. gonna hurt when it ends. Yeah. I'll be here if you need me. And then maybe yeah. there's some people that have lives that are just quieter. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what I believe, but maybe you know you have different iterations, and they this one's just a smooth one, boring but smooth. Right. I don't want boring. No. I, I would no. rather feel it all, but yeah. I heard someone say recently, and this this somewhat applies, but they said, what'd they say? They said, you know, I've got two boys and, you know, they kick each other's asses all day long. They spill shit. They break shit. It drives me insane. And then somebody told this person, in those moments when you're about to blow your lid and you're about to do something that you wish you didn't, and that would potentially have an effect on your kids act like you're 80 years old coming back and visiting that moment. Oh, that's Peter. Hmm. Was that Peter Atia? Yeah, he talks about that. He has the calendar on his- That's it, you're office. right. I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, and it's funny because he's like, we talked about that. I was like, now you're all like a child rearing expert. He's like, it was just one idea. Yeah, that's yeah. Peter. He had somebody, someone came and told him. So he has in his office this like, um, it says the days until he'll, I think it's till he's a hundred or something. So you just realize it's not that much time. Yeah, right. It's not How that much days? time. So, yeah. And then you, and what he talks about with the kids, yeah, it's going like, what would I do? Like yeah. changing your mindset, which is, yeah, mm -hmm. so true. Oh, how about that? I've, I've Now I remember it was him saying that, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that Peter. Um, Good man. I have, yeah. I have one quick question because you said something about, you know, the luxury of time to worry. And yeah. then I know you've talked a lot about time to grieve, especially mm -hmm. from parents and mothers, but... I'm, I don't know. I was thinking about this conversation coming up and I was watching, I think, Succession last night. I don't know uh -huh. if you're watching. Um, and there's this theme around scheduling time to grieve, right? It was also a really big theme in shrinking, if you watch oh, that. Oh, God, I love right? it. Right. But in, in both of those cases, right, in one case, it's a really successful tool that they're using. And in another case, it's like, oh, my God, you're so busy and so important in your own mind that you have to schedule your time to grieve. But I was thinking about you and I was curious your take on that. I mean, is that something that you think is, you talk to a lot of people who have been through grief and are going through grief. Is that something you think is healthy, is helpful, is is a horrible sign that you're not processing in, in real time? I don't know, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? 
Actually, that I've never been asked that. I'm, let me think about that. Um, I think in the beginning, it is all consuming and it should be because you are actually, you have died. So when somebody dies, that version of you dies that was in juxtaposition to them. So what people don't realize is grief is, is as much about losing that person as losing the person you were with that person in it. So you are, you are saying goodbye to them, but you're saying goodbye to you. So that version of you dies the minute someone close to you that was integral in your life dies because you are now walking around in a reality you have never been in. And so there is, hmm? that makes so much sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, in the beginning, it's all consuming because you are trying to figure out how to even live in this world. So I, I mean, my experience is early grief is quiet and it's so dark and internal. You can't, you know, it's hard to walk. It's hard to talk. It's hard to eat. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to sleep because, and I explain it most of the time. It's like, you you feel like you're being set on fire. Like that's how it feels when somebody dies that you love. It's like you're, you're on fire. Um, as time goes by, and I, I talked to a lot of widows and it's that same experience. Like you, it hurts. It's physical. Um, you kind of give in to grief then because you can't function. As time goes by, I have learned for me, even now, now it's very quick. I can cry and I can grieve and I can be able to like 90 seconds and then I can come right back to you guys. I think as time goes on, you can start to decide when you want to open that door. So I think of grief as like a room you go to and it's it's transformative, it's painful, it's scary. And in the beginning, the door's open and you you are you cannot, you are in it. Um, eventually you start to be able to modulate when you're going to deal with it. And that's when it starts to get beautiful because there gets to be this reverence around it. Like a lot of more, I mean, I start, I meditate like a freak because that's what keeps me from being crazy. But um, <laughs> I like look for like, oh, I'm gonna go cry and sit down with Nate and like be sad that I don't have a husband and I don't, my kids don't have a dad, but I get to turn it on. I get to modulate it. So I walk into the room when I want. In the beginning there, you are living in the room and people come visit you in there but you mm, don't yeah. you don't know how to live outside of that room so you don't but eventually your house starts to build rooms around it and there's joy and there's laughter and there's kids and then there's grief and it's you i mean i don't i don't ever want to stop grieving him because it reminds me to live like every time i think of him being dead i'm like well let's shit let's go it could be you tomorrow <laughs> and yeah. it's fun it's fun to live like that to live knowing that like people do go and like now's the time today's the day and yeah. so um i think it's a little bit of both but early grief is all consuming and then the kids like they don't they grieve so differently i wish i'd known kids don't even know what the hell happened and really all they want is their surviving person to be okay mm. they're just like if mm. you're okay we're okay and i think that's how kids feel about a lot of stuff yeah um oh. so yeah that's really beautiful. Thank you. That was, I really that, yeah, that was a wonder. I love the house Me visual too. and the other rooms. Mm -hmm. um, all right, Kelsey, I can't thank you enough. I mean, what an example of, of growth and light through suffering and pain. I mean, this is life. Um, you hear it all the time. Death is a part of life. And it's it's when you can find light in the darkest of times, you're an inspiration to the countless others that are going to go through this. Mm. And we all are. Um, thank you for coming on and sharing your life with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are of great. Course.
All right, Kelsey, thank you so much. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the host and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. Visit Patrick Balsley's practice, saunacounseling.com, Robbie Shaw's practice, eventiderecovery.com, or visit theblanchardinstitute.com.